Joel took us up to the end of the times of uh, Ahaz and Hosea, uh, where the northern kingdoms now has been taken away almost completely. There's just about six years of leftover time for the northern kingdom coming into our king that we're going to start with tonight, which is Hezekiah. And darkness has come over the land of Israel. People have turned from God, a God who has loved them, a God who took all the people out of the land before him and gave them a place of milk and honey, a God who took them out of Egypt and redeemed them with the blood of the Passover lamb and brought them into this great place and given them an opportunity to serve him. And he gave them a tabernacle and then he gave them a temple and they did everything as we're going to see to destroy that temple, to bring idols in to bring idolatry and immorality into the place right here in the midst of us, where we remember the Lord with the table. They would have an idol. It just tears at your heart to think about what had happened during this time. So we are now come into a time of darkness where the, the nation is about to slip off the face of the earth. And yet before the darkness, before the darkness, there's a little dawn. And we're going to start off with that with Hezekiah tonight. This is just briefly, we're not going to go over history, but you knew the northern kingdom. It started out, there was a divide, and Jeroboam took over there. And we're going to see that Jeroboam will come back into play in 1 Kings 13. There was a prophecy that a king named Josiah, which is now 300 years later, 300 years later, we are now coming to Josiah at the end of our time tonight. And there was a prophesy, prophecy that would say what Jeroboam set up with the false idol and the false worship and the calf that was in Bethel across the way from Jerusalem, that he would draw people away from the worship of God to this false idol would be there. And the man of God, a prophet of God, said at that time, there will be one who comes. His name will be Josiah and he will destroy this altar and destroy it. He does with might. So we will see that. And the southern kingdom began with Rehoboam, and it will go all the way down and through Zedekiah tonight, as we can see here tonight. Just a little picture. When we talk about the extent to which these men, we will spend most of our time on Hezekiah and Josiah because they have uh, the most good principles to draw from. And as we see here tonight, you can see down here is the area around Judah and Jerusalem. And when Hezekiah is done, he ends up cleaning up all this. This was not his area. Israel was not his. At the final stage, God's last king, Josiah, who does good, he cleanses all the way. When they talk about Dan to Beersheba, Beersheba's down here and Dan, okay, all the way to the top. So at the end, God brings everything back to himself under a good king, a king who has a soft heart to God, a king who will bow and tear his clothes at the word of God. And in that darkness... In that absolute darkness of idolatry and nations that are coming down to destroy Israel, he will establish his kingdom at the end. And all the way from where God wanted it, from here to here, Israel would be cleansed of idols. It would be cleansed of idolatry. It would be cleansed from evil things. So it can be done, brothers and sisters. If you think of the time that we're in now and the difficulties and all of the idol worship that goes on in our world, people worshiping themselves, people hating God, people leaving God, people believing in evolution, and you think the end is here. There's always a time for people who have a heart that is tender to the word of God. And God can raise up a people to serve him in the darkest of times. That's what we'd like to get out of that tonight. So here is what we've been looking at. The whole kings. And we're really going to come down to the bottom area here, and we're going to concentrate on this. So we're really looking at about the last 100 years of the history of Judah, about 400 years total of this time. So really the last third uh, we got to cover tonight. So quite a bit that we will work over, and we will zoom in on the people tonight. We are going to be looking, uh, beginning at Hezekiah, Manasseh, an awful king, Ammon, awful, Josiah, the last good king, three sons, and a grandson, all bad. Kind of wonder why. All three sons lost. It should touch our heart tonight. Even a good king going on for the things of God, it means nothing. Every generation needs dealings with God. It doesn't mean anything. We've heard this and this point has been made throughout the time. Every generation needs to have a tender heart to God and a heart that will follow God and seek after them themselves. 
And on the other hand, what happened to that king? What happened? What happened to David and all of his sons? One who was after God's own heart, and yet none of his sons besides Solomon would go on for the things of God. What happened to these men? Maybe he was too busy with taking care of the kingdom. Maybe too busy taking care of the good things that he's supposed to do. Maybe taking care of the right things. And maybe he didn't spend the time he needed with his children. Not sure. Scripture is silent on it. I don't want to add any more. But you have to ask yourself the question of what happened within years. Six years. You think about these fellows here. All. All three of them would have been at the greatest Passover ever to be held in Israel. That's what the Bible records, Josiah's Passover. And within six to ten years, they're tearing up the word of God. They're forsaking God. They're going after other idols. And they're all carried away or killed. Should really touch our hearts. We are one generation away in God's assembly from losing everything. If we neglect, if we coast, if we fail to come to God and deal with God with our own heart in a tender way and yield to the word of God. So think about that as we start tonight. So just another little snapshot of these folks at the end here. Died, died, natural causes. Murdered, wounded, killed in battle, deposed Egypt. Died in Babylon during a siege, deposed to Babylon, deposed to Babylon. Nothing good comes out of turning away from God. Nothing comes out good from seeking after anything in this world that will replace God. And that's what happened to a lot of these men, good as a couple of them were. Okay, just another view, just to get your kings in place again. Not going to spend much time there. Okay, so moving right over on to Hezekiah. Hezekiah became king. At 25 years of age, he reigned 29 years. He was 54 years old when he dies. None of these people that we're going to read about tonight get past 60. that wake you up a little bit, everybody here? The ages we're talking about tonight are incredibly young. God wants us when we're young. He wants us when we're vibrant. He doesn't want you to wait because the time might not be there. If Josiah had not taken the six to ten years that he did for God that we're going to talk about, he would have missed out on everything because he went to heaven when he was 39 years old. Time is now. Get active for God. Read your Bible. Seek after the things of God. There's legitimate things, yes, that we have to take care of. But never, never wait to serve God. So let's look. And he was a godly king, just to summarize that before we read a little bit, who prayed and had a tender heart toward God and his people. Hezekiah is a great encourager. He was a consistent encourager. So if we can turn in our Bibles to 2 Kings. I'm going to read just a couple of passages tonight. I, I encourage you deeply to read this section. It warmed my heart to look into the word of God here. 2 Kings chapter 18 verses 5 through 7 for beginning. And this is speaking of Hezekiah now. He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that there was none like him among all the kings of Judah after him, nor among those who were before him. For he held fast, or he clave unto the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but he kept the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him wherever he went out. He prospered. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and would not serve him. He struck down the Philistines as far as Gaza and its own territory from Watchtower to Fortified City. Turn over to Second Chronicles 31. You will see that there are uh, quite a few chapters given to Hezekiah. We have Second Kings 18 through 20, Second Chronicles 29 through 32, and also in Jeremiah 36 through 39. So 2 Chronicles chapter 31 and verses 20 and 21. I'm reading the ESV just for ease of reading here. Thus Hezekiah did throughout all Judah, and he did what was good and right and faithful before the Lord. And every work that he undertook in the service of the house of God and in accordance with the law and the commandments, seeking, seeking his God, he did with all his heart, and prospered. See, the key with Ezekiah is to seek the Lord 
with all your heart. We're going we're to see Josiah in a little bit, a little subtle difference. He is going to seek the Lord with all fidelity. He is going to stick completely to the word of God. There will be no movement from that. And it will be said of him that he kept the Passover like no other king all the way back to Samuel. He is perfect and completely true to the word of God. You're going to see, on the other hand, Hezekiah is true in seeking the heart of God. There's a slight difference between these two. I think it has a major difference in their kingdom, a major difference in their administration of one who encourages for God, one who leads and one who inoculates the people of God with faith in the word of God so they can stand on their own two feet and so that they can have a heart. And that when, when trials come, like Sennacherib comes pounding at the door with 185,000 men, they don't cower at the fence or at the wall. They say nothing to the blasphemer. They resist the devil. And they're able to stand because one who is beside them and one who can encourage them. And that is the difference between Hezekiah and Josiah. Not that Josiah is bad, but there is a difference. When you see in Josiah's reign, he, instead of encouraging the Lord's people to make a covenant with God, Josiah commands them. Instead of encouraging the Levites, instead of encouraging the commanders like Hezekiah, Josiah goes out and makes them obey the Lord. And it says all the days of Josiah, they obeyed the Lord until the moment he was gone and his three sons never followed God. So slight differences, something we should pay attention to as we go along here. So what I'll do is just, we're going to spend some time in Hezekiah. Don't worry if we spend about eight slides. And we're going to spend one or two on the other one. So we're not going to go through the same thing, so in case you're wondering. Tub's not going to fill it the same, so don't, don't run that out and worry about it. So what's the story of Hezekiah? What's so important about Hezekiah when you read through? You're going to see that the first day, the first month, the first year of his reign, he goes and he sees the temple. And the temple from his father, Ahaz, the doors have been shut. The doors, the doors of the hall have been shut. There's no worship. There's no burnt offerings. There's no peace offerings. There's no sin offerings. There's nothing going on for God. And what's inside there is awful. There is idols in there. There's Chemosh and, and Milcom and, and Astra poles and all the things of the nations around them that have been put up there. And I, I don't even want to say because it's a family hour. There were things going on inside the house of God that were evil, that were immoral as they incorporated in part of their worship. And the doors were shut because Ahaz wanted nothing to do with God. And his son, Hezekiah, has a tender heart to God. And the first day, first month, first year of his reign, he opens the doors to the temple. He encourages the Levites. He calls the Levites back. You understand, this is a time of declension, a time where the Levites and the priests had been basically scattered. They're in their neighborhood. What do we do? There's no place to worship. He shut the doors. What do we do? Things had deteriorated. They hadn't remembered the Lord, if we could say it that way. Nobody had prayed in years. And Hezekiah gets them together and pulls them back. He says, you men, you Levites, stand firm. Draw yourselves back to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves to the Lord. Give yourselves wholly to the Lord. And he will bring you back and he will put you into his service. So he does that. He calls the people back and he makes a covenant. You're going to see with Hezekiah that it's always about the heart. Six times in this section of Second Kings, you read heart, heart, heart. It's all in his heart. There is a warmth to God about Hezekiah. And he says, it is in my heart. To make a covenant with the Lord. And people see that. And they follow. He doesn't tell them what to do. He just. They see him praying. They, they see him respecting Isaiah the prophet. Isaiah will be the main prophet. Isaiah is about 80 years old. When this man's about 25. Big huge age range. Boy not much can be done in between those two. Huh? No. There's, there's nothing problem with generations in the Bible. These two men are going to be inseparable like they were best friends when you read some of the things we're going to read about tonight, how they prayed together and, and how one prayed and then the Lord brought the word of God through the other one. It's amazing how they worked hand in foot, even though they were 60 plus years apart during this time. So he makes the covenant with the Lord. He cleanses the temple and gets all of all the garbage out of the temple. He consecrates the priest. He begins the priesthood again. They get, make sin offerings and burnt offerings and everything is set up. The house is cleansed. The whole approach to God is there. But guess what? It's just a, it's, they missed the first month. The whole thing was to get ready for the Passover. But it's okay. 
Because Hezekiah isn't about being perfect. He's about being right with the heart of God. So in the second month, instead of the first month, remember the first month the Passover was to be held from the 10th to the 14th day? They were to come in and do that. That's all right. Now they're in the second month. And it goes amazingly well. The people come. And you know what's unique about him? I told you the nation of Israel had been taken away. They were gone at this point. The only thing left were little pockets of people that were too poor to leave and too not intelligent to take with him. All right. When the Assyrians came and took everybody away. So there's just little pockets of Jewish people, but no, nothing tying them together. Northern tribes. What's Hezekiah do? He sends out letters to Manasseh, Ephraim, Zebulun, Naphtali, all the way up to Dan. He says, come back, come back to the house of God. Isn't that something that we as people should desire to have people to come back and to be restored to God's fellowship, to be to, to bring them back. And he wants them to come. Not does he just want his priests and Levites that he's fixed up and got them there ready. Not does he want the whole city of Jerusalem, the whole country of Judah, but the whole country of Israel. Everything for God he wants to establish and bring back. And he does. And that is the uniqueness of the Passover of Hezekiah, that it brings back all who were lost. And of course, there were people who scoffed at it. There's always people that will scoff at the word of God. What's going to happen down there? The time of God is over and people don't come back. And yet some do. Some from Ephraim and Manasseh. But you know, they come back. They're restored with a humble heart. They don't come back demanding to be a priest or a Levite. They just come back to God to remember what God had done for his people at the Passover. And they end up having a Passover, not for one week that's amazing, but for two weeks, never had been done, never recorded in the Bible, totally unique. The joy that went on at the Passover and the fellowship and the time that they had. So that is what happened. And after that, they left there and they went out to the rest of Judah and the rest of Israel. And they knocked down the poles of the ashram and they knocked down the worship to Baal. And they knocked down the high places and he got rid of this thing called Nehushtan. You know what that was? Something made of brass. Does that ring a bell to you? Something back in Moses' time. They had taken the brass serpent that Moses had lifted up, that God said, lift up and look. Look unto me and be ye saved, right? Their whole point was to turn them to God. The whole point was to point towards the Lord Jesus in the future. And that's all it was. And the people had made it an idol and they were worshiping and offering sacrifices to the snake up on a pole. No one in hundreds of years... How long ago was that back to Moses? You do the math. I don't know. 600 years, 700 years. I'm not, I didn't do the math. So long time. All those years they had been worshiping a brass bronze serpent. And Hezekiah crushed it, rubbed it under his heels and blew it away. And I'm not going to get to everything tonight that I want to say. So I'm going to say it when it comes to my mind. What's in your life that's an idol? What's in your life that keeps you away from God? What's that keeps me away from God? It's what sits in my pocket. Is it what I play with? Is it what I see? Is it what I do? I don't know. I don't know what it is for you. It's different. But I know all of us are the same. Our hearts are desperately wicked. Our hearts will go away. And if you take that little idol of yours and stick it in the back cupboard so maybe you'll find it again, it'll find you. And it'll take you away from God. Crush it. You will see what Hezekiah and Josiah do. They crush things. They burn things. They take it out and blow it away in the wind. And they cast it upon the graves of those who forsook God. They utterly forsake the idols. Put them away. Get them away. Because they'll take you away from God. So what are the things that happen under this man? He concentrates on right relationships. Right relationship with God. Right relationship with the people. And I got to say this. The right relationship that began their life between Hezekiah and Josiah was that they had godly mothers. You understand? There was, they had no godly father. I can tell you that. Fathers that would put idols up in the place of worship. They were no godly men. They must have had mothers who stood by their side and who kept them away from the evil of that time. How else could you have a child with a tender heart except for a mother taking care and bringing them along in the things of God? There wasn't that many good things going on at this time. There wasn't little Jewish Sunday schools. There were people running away from God. So it had to be in the home. So right relationships start in the home with Hezekiah and Josiah. He started at the right place. 
He started at the right time. How soon are you going to serve God? Bible says something to you, whether you start with being saved or not. What shall be the end of them who obey not the gospel? Once you're saved, you're not going any further. God can't bless you anymore until you are baptized. Then you see the truth of God's assembly and what's holding you back. Because that's where God is worshipped. That's where God wants you to be. And that's where Hezekiah starts. He establishes a priesthood. We've talked about that. We've talked about that. Second Chronicles, I just put it up there for you in red. So there was great joy in Jerusalem. For since the time of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, there had been nothing like this celebration and worship to God there. So those are the, th- the good things that he started with. What else? We talked about this already, about the cleansing of the temple, broken down the pillars, cut out the Asherah poles. Asherah is a goddess. Okay? They're not just like poles. Like they're, you know, they're, these are representatives of false gods in the house of God. They were also all around the hills. I can imagine if you stepped outside Jerusalem, you could see, I've never been there, but I, I know there's, you could see a lot from Jerusalem, right? And there were high places. There were high places that Solomon put up before he built the temple to worship God, and those were all supposed to go away, but they weren't. So there were Levites and priests who would go out to these places, and they would truly worship God, but see, they took away from the place where the place where God had chosen to place his name. That comes up here throughout all these three, these kings, even comes up in Manasseh because it says he did not respect the place where the God chose to place his name. And God threw him into judgment and the nations after him would be brought into judgment and taken out to Babylon because he did not honor the place where God chooses to place his name. And so they cleansed the temple. They cut down the poles. They got rid of the bronze servants. There were geopolitical wars going on. It was like David. He knocked out the Philistines. He even pushed back against the king of Syria. But see, God didn't really tell him to do that. Uh, He kind of went a little too far. And uh, so the king of Assyria came down and started picking off his cities. And and Hezekiah had to to swallow some pride there because God didn't tell him to do that. So sometimes we have to be careful when we're going after the things of God, make sure we are going after the things of God and not what we think the things of God are, okay? And so after he had put gold on the temple doors, he he restored the temple to some degree, just the doors. The building was still kind of decrepit and and needed repair, but he put gold on the doors. And you know what um, ransom he had to pay to get his cities back from Sennacherib? 3,000 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. Each talent, if you remember studying the tabernacle, the candlestick was one talent of gold, weighed 80 pounds. One talent, 80 pounds. 30 talents of silver, or of gold, times 80 pounds. 2,400 pounds of gold he had to give to satisfy Sennacherib, and that wasn't enough. You see, he compromised compromise. We learned just a wee little bit about compromise. You go through here, this word of God is saturated with principles for your life and my life. And I learned there that you don't compromise with the world. You don't make deals with the world hoping that if I do this for a little bit, it'll be okay. It won't affect me. It won't affect my family. And he had to eat some humble pie because the gold came off those doors and he had, and the people just watched it go. And it's Snockrub's hands, and that wasn't enough. You know what? Snockrub came back. Snockrub came back. Right here he is. You wake up some morning, there's 90,000 tents outside your front door. Now, what had happened here as things had gone well, for 14 years of his reign, I, he did all that that was right, he, everything was good. And the Bible says, after these things, after these things, adversity comes. Did he do anything wrong there? No. No. He, he, he sought the Lord with all his heart. He, he was tender to the things of God. So you know what I learned out of this? Is that there's going to be difficulty. We're going to learn devotion to God. And you're going to learn that devotion to God may lead to trial. 
happened to the Lord Jesus. You go through this world faithful to God. There may be a time where you're going to have to pay a price. Those who trust him are brought into circumstances in which they feel their helplessness. And they're made to lean upon him. Now, so he has three brushes with Sennacherib. We already talked about one. It goes away, but you see, he doesn't, I don't want, why do I want to go away? There's all kinds of riches down there, and that's on my way to Egypt, and I want to dominate the world, so I'm taking that country too. So he sends back three of his emissaries, one of them named Rabshaketh. That's not really his name, but he was a cupbearer, and he could speak. And he comes, and he comes out on this plain right outside Jerusalem, and he doesn't speak in their own language. He speaks in the Jewish language, and he tells them, your king has got nothing. Hezekiah has told you that God's going to save you. Look at all the gods we just walked over with our chariots. They're nothing. And that was where they made their mistake. They likened the God of heaven to all the false gods. And it, and it gets a bit overwhelming. Hezekiah comes back and he hears these people talk. But it's really interesting. I already said it once. The people had been inoculated. They knew that Hezekiah believed in God. And they believed in God because he did. And they were strengthened, and they didn't answer. They didn't open the gates and said, come in, we, we, we give up, which is going to happen later on. And so what happens is he goes, and he tells them to go talk to Isaiah, see what's going to happen here. So amazing. Here's the king, power in the kingdom. He humbles himself, tears his clothes, and he says, he tells his own people, Go to Isaiah. Isaiah was probably an older man, didn't want to bring him down. He says, just go talk to him and tell him what these guys have said. Because you know what they challenged him with? And, and Sennacherib did it again. We hear this question. On what do you trust, Christian? What are you trusting? So flimsy. Some God who died on a cross for you. See, a satanic attack. When Sennacherib came, he was eroding their foundation because he wanted them to cave in, to give up, to give all the things of God over to him and, and to leave and be scattered. On what do you put your trust? Can I ask you and I that today? What do you and I put our trust in? The Lord Jesus and the word of God? Is that where it holds you down? Is that what's your anchor? Is that what's my anchor? Because if there's anything else, you won't stand in a time of trial. So, he goes, and Isaiah sends back a message. He prays. Isaiah sends back, he says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I'm going to send a little message to Sennacherib. And you read a beautiful poem of what he's going to do. God doesn't respect you. We laugh at you, and you're done. Okay? But that wasn't enough. Sennacherib now decides to come back. This is the third. The first time he just sent his emissaries trying to get them to capitulate without a fight. because The sieges were very long. Three years of battle, lose a lot of things. And they didn't want to do that. So the third time, he sends a letter. This letter is, is really amazing. Um, it says the same things. It goes back on whom do you trust. And there it, it, it speaks to the people trying to get them. He says, Hezekiah has believed in God, don't let him confuse you. I'm going to destroy you and your God and your city. And the people listen to God. It's interesting. Do you know what Sennacherib knew? Sennacherib knew that Hezekiah believed in God. Do people around you know that? Do people around you know that you believe in God? Sennacherib used it against them. He said, don't think that these, it, because they'd taken all these altars down, and Sennacherib was foolish enough to think those were the altars for God. They weren't. Uh, but he says, you've knocked those out. God's not going to hear you. And none of these other gods stood to us, and we're going we're to crush you. Uh, and so he first went, and he spoke to Isaiah. What's he do? Let's turn to Second Kings chapter 19. Just take a break and read Second Kings chapter 19. This is one of the most touching prayers one of the most simple prayers of the Bible. I hope I never get far from it. This is Hezekiah's prayer, verse 14. Hezekiah received a letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. Doesn't say anybody's with him. He takes the letter that Sennacherib is threatening his very existence and he lays it in front of God. Can you get any simpler than that? God just wants to hear from us. God wants to hear what's bothering you right now. He loves to hear from you. 
And he, he literally takes the papers and he just lays them out there. What kind of childlike faith is in this great king? His heart is in tune with God. And he lays the letter out there. And he spreads it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth, and you have made heaven and earth. They didn't believe in evolution back then either. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear the words of Sennacherib. He prays discreetly, not in vague terms. He said, that fellow over there, he's opening his mouth against you. I just want to make sure you hear that. Not that he doubted it, but he wanted to bring it before the Lord. Which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste. And these things did happen. He's saying this is true. They have destroyed everybody else around and other lands. And they have cast their gods into the fire. For they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they were destroyed. So now, O Lord, our God, save us. Please, God, save us, please. Peter says to the Lord, save me. I don't think we need to be too complicated with our prayers to God. He just wants to hear you. God, save us, please, from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone. Wish I could pray that way. Isn't that something? So I just wanted to say it. So what happens here? And the other thing that happens here, if you read through Second Kings, you don't really see it, but he's sick. Uh, Hezekiah, not only is there 185,000 people banging on his door, ready to take out his kingdom, but he's got some boil. He's got some infection. They didn't have antibiotics back there. You're going to die. You have infection taking over your body and you are going to die. You're going septic. You stop thinking. Well, it says when you read them together, it was in the same year. It was around the same time. So these things are caving in on us. Do you think you have pressure and harm problems at work, problems with your health, problems with relationships? He's got them all. His whole kingdom's going. He's sick. He's going to die. And he rolls over and prays. Another time he prays. Has Isaiah just come in and said, your time's up. You're going to die. Pack it in. Isaiah had, had this. Isaiah leaves. Hezekiah turns over and looks at the wall all by himself with God. Says, please spare me. God says, okay, I will. Stop, Isaiah. Don't, don't leave the courtyard. <laughs> the immediacy here of God. God is really right there the whole time. He's right there with you and I, right? He's not far. Trust me. After reading Hezekiah, I know it. He's there. And before Isaiah gets out the front door, I, Isaiah comes back and says, God's going to spare you. you got 15 more years. And Hezekiah's word is, well, at least uh, judgment's going to come, but not during my time, which leaves a little bit sour taste in our mouth, but we'll talk about that if we have time in a minute. But then God says, what sign do you want me to give you? What sign? Because the sign wasn't bad. God's offering a sign. I want to show you that my word's going to come true. Just so you can be, so you can relax. And the good kings took God at his sign. Ahaz didn't. So what sign? He says, you want the, the sundial to go forward or backwards? Hezekiah, do you want time to go forward or backwards? How powerful is God? How good is God? And uh, Hezekiah said, well, we always seem to go forward. We would have that fast, but let's go backward. So sure enough, it goes back. It goes backward in real time. I don't know what happened. You people who understand astrophysics and maybe some other way, there was something about some volcanic explanation that, that one of the authors was writing about. I think God just wound the clock backward because he has full control of the clock. And you know why I know it's real? Because in a few years, these Babylonians who were people who watched the stars, they came back. And they looked, and they came to Hezekiah and says, how did that sign occur? So it really did happen. It really did happen. So that's the, that's the God that Hezekiah was in touch with that you and I can be in touch with. So those are some of the main highlights of Hezekiah. Now, working through here a little bit, we talked about this area. We're going to move on a little bit. How did he manage? He consulted Isaiah. He prays. He humbles himself. He believed and trusted that God would deliver, and God answered him. 
Hezekiah's blessing, once that happened, all the nations of the earth knew that the God of Israel was real, and they poured money back into Judah. And it was amazing. Wealth was back in Judah. I just told you it was dark. The doors were about ready to shut. Hezekiah's about ready to die, and the coffers are now full. People are pouring forth offerings in, and people, the, the priests say, stop, there's too much for us to, to eat. It, it, it's an amazing time because God had touched the heart of the people because one man had a heart for God. It can be done. It can be done in our time. Now, what was Hezekiah's problem? Maybe some complacency. He said, well, the judgment's going to come in 15 years, but at least not my time. Maybe he didn't do so good about preparing, but his big problem was pride. You see, what happened here, and you can read that. This is what the Bible says. This is where we have to be careful, because this is what God knows about our heart. You see this right here? But Hezekiah did not make return according to the benefit done for him, for his heart was proud. Therefore, wrath came upon him in Judah and Jerusalem. And so in the matter of the envoys of the princes of Babylon, who had been sent to inquire about the sign that had been done in the land, God left him to himself in order to test him and know what was in his heart. See, even though his heart was for God, there's always more things we can get out to make more room for God. So what happened is these Babylonians came. You read it, it, it almost chills you. It says that Hezekiah showed him his house, Hezekiah's, and his treasures, and his things. Now these were ungodly Babylonians who knew nothing about God. They were about to take over the world. How much different would it have been if Hezekiah took him to the temple and showed him what God had done? Showed him the bronze altar, and the place of sacrifice. Why do you do that? Why do you shed the blood? Because there's no remission of sin without a sacrifice, without the shedding of blood. Could have been totally different. And with a very short time, those Babylonians would come in and take everything. They would take the house of God. So you see, pride gets in the way of serving God. And pride even affects godly men like Hezekiah. And it caused great trouble. So we've talked about most of the other principles already on here, so we're going to go through that. Reason for his spiritual blessing, he was an encourager. He honored the word of God, had a heart for God, and worship. This is an amazing statement right here to me. Right here, Second Chronicles. This was during the time of the Passover, and their prayer came to his holy habitation in heaven. This is just like what we do on Lord's Day. When God's people's hearts are right, the worship goes directly into the presence of God, not into some temple, not into some building. And it happened during Hezekiah's time. And moving on quickly to Manasseh. Manasseh becomes king at a young age as well, but he has no guide, no mother to mentor him. Hezekiah really had him late in life, so he wasn't really old enough for Hezekiah to mentor because all through those times, Hezekiah, all the sickness and the battles of Sennacherib, he did not have a child. And that was the other thing about facing death without an heir, okay? And so that was why that moment was very critical for Hezekiah's life. So he has a child late in life, and it's, this is Manasseh. And he begins and he reigns 55 years, and he does absolute evil in the sight of the Lord. From father to son, absolute evil. I'm just going to say, he, he did these things. He rebuilt the high places that his father Hezekiah had destroyed. He worshipped the host of heaven. That means the sun and the stars and the moon and all kinds of crazy stuff. Anything but God. He put two idols into the holy place and the holiest of holies where the ark should be. Absolute godless desecration. He burnt his son as a sacrifice. He consulted fortune tellers, etc., that you can read. And he was a cruel, violent man that shed blood and killed God's prophets, the people who carried the word of God during his time. Absolute disdain for God and his word. Now, I just put this up here to remind you what was supposed to happen. When you come into the land that God has given you, you should not follow the practices of those nations. There shall not be anyone found among you who burns his son or practices divination or fortune tellers, you get the, you get the gist there. 
Because of these abominations, God drove out the nations that were idolatrous. And because the nation of Israel and Judah did that, God's going to take them as well. The king of Judah does what those around him do. I had somebody ask me in Sunday school once, how close can you get to the fire before you get burned? They did. I'm making it up. Don't get close to these things. Don't get close to anything that would take you away from serving God because it does. And he is absolutely destroyed. What some lessons we can learn quickly from Manasseh? Now, I was going to read, but you go home and read Second Chronicles 33, verse 10. The word of God is clear. When it says, don't do those things, and you do them, he will bring judgment. I just had to say that, okay? Judgment will come for those who do not seek after the things of God. Good parents don't guarantee good outcomes. Okay? Keep that in mind. He did not honor the place of the name. It says it listed in there. The place of the name that was in the tabernacle and in the temple and in Matthew where two or three are gathered together there in my name. There I am in the midst. This is something hopefully we'll develop sometime down the road to understand why we come and worship at the place where God chooses to place his name and why it should be honored. He did not. And it brought him great trouble. But we can't end on a terrible bad thing because there is this wonderful grace. What happens? God says, enough. You're going to be carried away. He is carried away into captivity. And he's there for many years. And God speaks to him in jail. And you, you go home and read that Second Chronicles. It's wonderful. It says God spoke to him, and he relented. And he learned that God was God. He got saved. He came to know the true God. God lets him back to Judah, and he goes back there, and he starts cleaning up the temple in the little weak little bit that he can with a little bit of time he has left. And he, he starts to prepare the wall, and he starts doing some good things that his son had done many, many, or his father had done many years ago, but it was not enough. So you see here, God deals with us in grace, personally. But see, mistakes and bad things that can occur can still bring corporate punishment. And that always, as you read through to Josiah, God would not relent because of the sins that Manasseh did amongst the people. Okay? So there is personal grace, but there can be things that happen that bring judgment down the road. So that's what we learn about Manasseh. Ammon, we have nothing. (laughs) There's nothing about Ammon that you want to remember, other than the fact that he did two things. He picked a good wife named Jedidah, and he had a son named Josiah. Everything else is flat-out evil. So evil, God takes his life. God will step in. This man reigned two years, and God took him, and his own servants killed him. And then we come to Josiah. So here's where we've been for just a brief little moment. We've started at Ahaz there a little bit, Hezekiah, Manasseh, Ammon, and now we're to Josiah, which is the pinnacle for the end of our thing. We can see here about Josiah. Josiah, before him, there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his might, according to all the law of Moses, nor did any like him arise after him. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in the ways of David his father, and he did not turn to the right hand or to the left. Now, that not turning to the right hand or left is significant because that is what God prescribed for the kings. He ends up doing right down the line what God wanted from David all the way down to the very end. He doesn't turn from the right hand to the left. He is completely full of truth and fidelity when it comes to something that God says. And that is who we're going to see. That's very important. Proverbs 4 and 27 says, Do not swerve to the right or the left or turn and turn away your foot from evil. So a nice little word for us to remember. Do you read the Proverbs every day? Do you, do you read Proverbs sometime? These men had the Proverbs. Hezekiah copied them out. I didn't tell you that. They had this word. You have this word. Do these things have an impact on you? Because you're going to see in just a moment that at the end of Josiah's life, he fails to heed a proverb, and it costs him his life. It costs him his life. So this is Josiah's time. Josiah, he is 55 years from Hezekiah, the great, his great-grandfather, just to let you know where we're at. 400 years from David. There's no kings or kingdom in the northern tribes, and Jeremiah and Zephaniah are the prophets, but 
He, for some reason, probably because Jeremiah is a little younger, um, there's not really any connection between Jeremiah and Josiah. It's kind of interesting. I'm not sure I quite understand why, but there's not much. Jo- Jeremiah sees his life. Jeremiah laments when the king dies in a very great capacity. So he knew of him. He loved him. He cared for him. But there, he, there wasn't much consultation going on with him, I think, because he was a little bit younger. These are the world powers that are going on. The Assyrians are in the decline. They were sort of the northwest, the Babylonians over here in the east, and the Egyptians are still to the south, and the Egyptians are kind of holding on, but they're about ready to go, and the Babylonians are on the rise. And this man, Nico, is going to be the one that comes to the demise of Josiah in just a moment. All right? So look at the timeline here when you look at his life. Eight years old, he became king. Eight to 16, probably under the tutelage of Hilkiah the priest, godly man, probably moving along and helping him to learn the word of God and how to be a godly young man. He has a mother who probably looks after him as well. Obviously, we mentioned that. And then we have 20 years old. I'm sorry, at age 16, it says he began to seek the Lord. I have a little slide. What does it mean to begin to seek the Lord? He began to seek the Lord. I like that because there's never an end where he stops. He began. He started, but he never stopped. That's great about him, right? But there was a point where he began. I don't know, does that really mean salvation? Or is that meaning a time in his life like Romans 12? When you place yourself upon the altar, when you give yourself over to God, say, I am yours, God, do with me what you want. I'm not quite sure, but it has both meanings, most likely. And then from age 20, he decides to purge Judah of all the idols that had been there with his grandfather and his father. And he goes through the entire land and cleans house completely. And when he's 26 years old, how many 26-year-olds can say this? You know, how many 53-year-olds could say this, right? He completely goes through and purges Judah and Israel of all idols. He repairs the temple, and he finds the word of God, and the Passover is held. That's a great time. And then there's 13 years of complete silence. The Bible is completely silent for 13 years. Don't know if things were going really well, and we don't hear about it. Don't know if he was becoming spiritually dull. I kind of get to think that that's might have what had happened, because... We'll find out in just a moment. Why was he a good king? We've said some of these things already. He did what was right in the Lord, did not turn to the right or the left. He humbled himself at the word of God. I think it's wise to take a moment and look at this. Because your heart was penitent and humbled yourself before the Lord God, when you heard how I spoke against this place and its inhabitants, that they should become desolation, have torn your clothes and wept before me. We've heard this before, haven't you? I have heard you, declares the Lord, and he consults a prophetess who was a godly woman. This wasn't a a bad thing at this time. It was a good thing that he was doing there. So what happens is he goes through and he cleans house in Israel and Judah. He, he, it's, it's even more powerful when you read what he does. Anything that's left, he goes in and he tears it down and he grinds it up and he stomps on it and he takes it out in a river and he blows it and he throws it on dead people's graves who rejected God. I, I think he means business, right, when it comes to idols. I mean, that is, he doesn't turn from the right or the left. Very fierce in his service to God. But then after he does all that, he comes back and says, we're going to go in and clean the house of God and we're going to repair it because now it hasn't been repaired since Joash. I mean, really repairing. So he gets timbers and wood. This is Solomon and David coming all over again. They're really rebuilding the temple. They're doing something for God. He is responding to the word of God. See, he hears the word of God. He knows that this is the place where God chooses to place his name and he acts upon it. He says, I'm going in to fix the house of God for him. And, And it's an amazing transition that he does. But you know what happens when they find, they go into the house and they get rid of these idols that, that were up in the holy place and the holy place? Somewhere from the side, that there was a couple of scrolls there. Probably something out of Deuteronomy. Saying what we read. If you don't follow me, if you follow idols, judgment's coming. But you know what happened when they found it? Hilkiah, the priest, found it. And he says, I found the book of the Lord. You, do you and I call it the book? Is it the book in your house? Does it rule in your house? Is it the book? Hilkiah the priest, godly man, says, I found the book. And he passes over Shaphan. Shaphan is the person uh, who is, is the, uh, the court person for him. And he walks out and he, he, he says, go take it to Josiah. He's excited about it. Shaphan says, he goes, says, oh, yeah, I got to take it to him. Yeah, I got to take it. He says, oh, you know, he finds with Josiah, the work is going on good, and, and, the, and the workers are doing good, and money is, part, you wouldn't believe the money. We, we found money in the temple, too, and people are getting paid, and life is good. And he says, 
I found a book. Whoa. No, no, no. He didn't find the book. He found a book. I don't want to read too much into it. But he does not have the same respect for the word of God that Josiah is going to have in a minute. And that's what I just wanted to wonder for you tonight. What's your response to the word of God? Is it the book? Do you understand what the word of God is? Is it a book that exists in your house that amongst all the other cares that are going on, you're paying the bills and you're going to work and you're playing this and you're doing that and it's a book that has something to do? You know what Josiah's response is? Shaphan opens a book and reads it. And Josiah hears about the judgment that's coming because people forsook the Lord and God is going. Do you understand Josiah did all that he did without the word of God? And he hears the word of God for the first time. And he tears his clothes. It rips him to the very innermost of his soul. And he says, go down and ask hold of the prophetess, a godly woman. Is this true? Is this what God's going to do? Is this what's going to happen? And she goes and says to him, answers back to him through, the, through other men. He says, yeah, tell the man who sent you the judgment's coming. But tell the king of Judah that he will die in peace and he won't see it. A man who is sensitive to the things of God, God will preserve. God will preserve. So what's your response to the word of God as you look at that? Now, he kept the Passover. Here's what we talked about just briefly. He cleaned house everywhere from Beersheba up to Dan. This is about where his area of influence was, and he cleaned everything else out of that. And they had the Passover after that, and there was more cleansing going on. And that was the 26th year of his life. A good king, didn't turn from the right or left, did everything. And the Bible records him that nobody had done the Passover this well all the way back to Samuel. When did the king start? After Samuel. God says, no one's like this man who did everything I asked him to do and followed everything to the T. Exactly. He was completely obedient to the word of God. Now, I just wanted to put this little reminder up for you. He became king at age 8. I don't know how much was going on between age 8 and 16, so you really can't count those 8 years. I gave him credit for those. 16 years? I told you you got 16 years from right now to serve God. You got really 10. Really 6 from the time he was 20 to 26. Because the time before that was where he was learning about God, seeking the Lord while he may be found, and learning But then he only had six years. What are you and I going to do with the years, the days, the minutes that God has given us? You going to do all you got for God? You going to be tender? You going to let the word of God have its way with you? Are you going to obey it? Then we come towards the end. This is just really disturbing. We have someone who tore his clothes at the word of God. And then he goes into this period, I think, of some spiritual dullness, right? And the king of Egypt, Necho, is coming through to go fight against Assyria. He's over on the edge. He's not even touching Jerusalem. And Josiah gets his dander up. says, ah, I'm going out to take him. And Necho says, no, no. He says, and, and you read the word of God. It's very careful how Necho, he doesn't speak like Sennacherib. He says, He said, Josiah, God told me to do this, and you're not listening to the word of God. That's what Nico, I'm not saying Nico is a good man, but he understood God was using him. And Josiah did not listen. King of Egypt warned him. Josiah did not turn away. So here, there's a little difference between a personality that's hard driving, right? Hard driving personality. Be careful with your personality and a godly trait. Because his personality went a step too far. And he disguised himself, which means he really wasn't convinced that this was the right thing to do. Because if you're, you're hiding yourself, you don't want to get hit with an arrow. There must have been a little doubt in his mind. And he was killed that day. He was 39 years old. That's sad. Sad for his family. Sad for his boys. Sad for the kingdom of God that now has no hope. Because the only one who would stand for God is gone. So sad. The take-home point, though, not then on a positive, negative note. 
Early in his life, he listened to God. He sought the Lord. He humbled himself. He was disciplined, didn't turn the right hand to the left. And he made the most of his time. But Josiah's problem, we all run into this, don't we? Didn't listen to God. He clearly had a warning. He didn't listen to God. He never prayed. He never did like Hezekiah did and said, go ask the prophet. He knew he could ask Huldah. He knew there were people available. And he didn't say, should I do this, God? I don't think he was evil. I don't think he had worldly pride. I think he just got spiritually dull. Wow. A man who's, who, who, who did the Passover like no one else, and God credits that to him, gets spiritually dull in a few years. Really should speak to us. All right? That's the last thing we see about him. There was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his might, according to the law of Moses. Lesson to learn. The Lord can enable his servant to please and serve him no matter how bad the conditions are. You take that point home. Don't think about the bad little things at the end of his life. Learn that you can serve God anyway. So we're going to finish up for a couple minutes. I'm sorry I'm over. I broke my own rule. I apologize. We're going to move these, these guys relatively quickly because there's not much here. This is Josiah's family. These are his sons here, and this is uh, going to be his grandson. And um, there's nothing good about these fellows. Jehoahaz, uh, or they called him Shalom also in the Bible, he becomes king. And at age 23, he's anointed, but the godly order is taken out here. He is not the oldest. He went always to the oldest. And the people grabbed him and said, you be king, right? So we learn that there's a problem when you step out of godly order. You step out of godly pattern. You do it in a very uh, way that everybody wants to do, a public way, right? That's not so good. And disaster comes out of their choice. Um, And so he succeeds the throne. Um, Ezekiel talks about him as a lion who devours men, ungodly, cruel, person who killed people, okay? Um, and God allows Pharaoh Nico. Pharaoh goes up to Syria, uh, beats them up, comes back and says, you're mine, Jehoahaz, you're going with me, and takes them down to Egypt. How awful was that? Where did God's people come from? Where did he redeem him out of? Where did he bring them through the Red Sea from? Egypt. Isn't that, isn't that awful irony? That the king of God goes back down into the place where his people were in bondage. See what idol worship does to you? It's going to get you every single time. Ungodly living, idol worship, going away from God, it's going to bring judgment. And he becomes a prisoner in Egypt. All right? That's just a picture of little periods. Pyramids remind you of that. Jehoiakim is the next who takes place. Jehoiakim becomes king at 25 years of age. World power is shifting now from Assyria to Chaldean. So for a couple of years, he has to pay tribute to Assyria. Um, and then uh, he decides he's not going to do that, and he's a cruel king. And instead of being nice to the people and just taking a little bit of money, he grabs money from the people, and he makes them build houses for him. He's just cruel. I mean, he's, people are being cruel to him, and he's being cruel. There's no godly leadership. There's nothing like Hezekiah where he's tender-hearted. He encourages the people. Um, he's totally out. And Jehoiakim is bound and carried with his family to Babylon. It sort of says that, but we're not sure that, that, that that's... It doesn't sort of say it. It says he was bound and was on his way, but I don't think he made it. I think Nebuchadnezzar knocked him over the wall, because you're going to see why in a minute here. This is what Jehoiakim's remembered for. Jehoiakim hated God. He was hostile towards God. This is a a relative of Josiah who tore his clothes when he saw the word of God and humbled himself at the word of God, and he hates the word of God. One generation away. How can that happen? He killed Urijah, who was another prophet that we don't read about in the Bible much. And, And Jeremiah had wrote some information that the people were to humble themselves and people bring it to Jehoiakim thinking uh, maybe he'll listen and humble himself like uh, you know Manasseh did and maybe something and he takes out a pen knife and he goes and he cuts the word of God and he takes and puts it into a fire and burns the word of God insane any other Jew would have trembled at the word of God. Wouldn't even say the word Jehovah, much less touch the word of God. And he does that. He tried to arrest Jeremiah. He took this Urijah and chewed up his body and spit it out over the wall. I think that's what happened to Jehoiakim because that's what Nebuchadnezzar did to him. I don't think he ever made it to Babylon. And we have Jehoiakim is the next one. Known as Jeconiah. Or Coniah, the Bible talks to him as such as well. Young man, he only reigns for three months, does evil. 
I don't know how you could do so much evil in three months, but he manages to do it very well. And same things are said about him, that he's a lion that chews up people and kills people. Um, Jehoiakim is just, just wimps out. He, he just surrenders. And then he's taken to Babylon, and he survives. He goes into Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar's son's going to let him out. We're going to come back to that in just one minute. We're almost done, I promise. Um, the temple now is raided. Babylonians come in, and the time of the Gentiles begins. And he is the last king mentioned in the genealogy of the Lord Jesus when we go into Matthew 1. So that's it. We're going to come back to Jehoiakim in a minute because that's significant. But last king, we're here. Zedekiah, his name was Mataniah. But Nebuchadnezzar, like kings did, want to change your name. And he called him righteousness to the Lord. I thought that was pretty nice. I don't think it was really nice. Nebuchadnezzar knew what he was doing. He says, you are making a promise to serve me as a vassal. You will not rebel against me, and you will swear to your God that you will do that, and your name is righteousness. So if you break your word, your God is not righteous. You see how that works? Okay. Nebuchadnezzar is very, very intelligent. So he reigns for 11 years. Even though he made an oath before God to serve Nebuchadnezzar, in the ninth year of his reign, he decides to rebel against the king of Babylon. Jeremiah warns him, that's not a good thing to do. I wouldn't do that. Uh, Ezekiel condemns him for not keeping his word when he promised it. You think you should keep your word? God expected him to keep his word to an evil ruler of the world. Okay? God expects us to keep our word when we say yes and let our yes be yes and our no, no. So the king of Babylon comes and the siege lasts 18 months. Can you imagine he's not real happy? Nebuchadnezzar sitting his people outside for 18 months trying to break down the walls of Jerusalem. The walls finally get broken. Zedekiah goes running out the back door with a few of his soldiers. They chase him down, and right here happens. The last thing that Zedekiah sees are his sons being killed. And then they put his eyes out. How awful. How awful it is to go away from the things of God. And he gets carried into Babylon as well. Zedekiah's problem. If you read carefully, these principles come out. He failed to keep his word. He was easily swayed by others, even when he knew the truth. God expects you and I to stand for the truth when you know it. He did not. God could have done with Zedekiah what he did with Josiah, but he chose not to. Conviction should not be like water that fit into the surroundings in which they are poured. And that's what Zedekiah was like. He faked interest in the word. He really had no interest to obey. That's documented there in the scripture. And he did not humble himself before the word of God. And he and his family and the house of God and the nation of Judah was carried away to Babylon, only leaving the poorest of people. Lessons from the fall of Judah speak to all this. Believers who drift away from the Lord return to where they came from when they were first converted. What is, what is true about Babylon and Egypt? Places of godless idolatry, godlessness, worship dogs, worship sun, moon, stars, everything but God. And that's what the people of God fell into. And that's exactly where they went back to. Israel was born in Egypt. They were redeemed with a Passover. And then a part of Judah was taken back to Judah. And at the end of this, it's very careful how the Holy Spirit of God works. It's not the Babylonians. It's those who came from the Chaldees, the Chaldees, the Chaldees. Where did Abraham? God called Abraham from where? Ur of the Chaldees. The people of God had done a complete circle. In grace, God had done tremendous things for them, given them things, revealed the lamb to them, been their God, been their king, and they rejected it. Romans 1. God allowed them what their hearts desired. And they were carried back into idolatrous nations. Joel brought this out. So I'm not going to say anything much here. Let's read the word of God. Any object that displaces God in our heart is an idol, whatever that may be for you. Flee from idolatry. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. These were written in the New Testament. They are things for us to heed. Last one here. Oh, we forgot about Jehoiakim. Jehoiakim was carried off to Babylon. They said, no son of yours will sit on the throne in Judah. And it did not happen. But when he was there, he made friends with his 
fellow in jail named Evil Merodach happened to be Nebuchadnezzar's son who kind of went astray for a while. So Nebuchadnezzar put his own son in jail and probably cellmates, okay, Jehoiakim, because they were kind of kings. They were in the king's cell block, right? And they got to be friends. And out they come. Uh, and when it, and 37 years after being in jail, Evil Merodach comes up and he says, all right, you can, you can come out. And Jehoiakim comes out and he has a son. That son had a son, Shealtiel, and I think his name was Mathaniah, and so on and so on. And that led to Joseph, who became the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus. He will be great and would be called the son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will never end. God honored his promise to keep someone on the throne of David. God can be trusted. God is always faithful. God's word will not fail. God's promises will not fail. And we say, even so, come Lord Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords. Let's pray.